If you saw her that day, please, we need you to contact IHIT. New details in the puzzling murder of a Belgian national with a plea for help from the police. Reformed racist. We wanted a fresh start. I wanted to be a new me. Why he's facing deportation despite years of good behavior. And the American resistance. Come forward today and you could change the fate of the country like that. A Trump insider's shocking version of what's really going on in the White House. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. New details now about a murder near Boston Bar and an appeal for tips from homicide investigators. IHIT identifies the victim as a 28-year-old tourist from Belgium. Sarah McDonald has more on what investigators believe she was doing at the time of her murder and what they still need from the public. She's remained nameless and faceless since she was found murdered north of Boston Bar two weeks ago. Now we finally know her name. We definitely need to speak with anyone that uh, perhaps picked up Emily. But the identity of Amelie Christelle Sakalis, a 28-year-old Belgian tourist, is just about all investigators can reveal with absolute certainty, asking for the public's help in tracing her final steps. This is where uh, we need the help of the public, because if she was hitchhiking, she may have jumped into several vehicles. It's believed Sakalis was hitchhiking from Penticton to Vancouver when she met with foul play August 22nd, a violent and sudden ending to a cross-country journey chronicled on social media. Sakalis apparently winding west from Quebec to Ontario and right through the prairies before arriving in B.C. I, I am completely shocked. It's such a small community. A B.C. man arrested at the crime scene the same day Sakalis' body was discovered was released without charges, though he's still considered a person of interest. Investigators now looking for information on this vehicle connected both to him and Sakalis. To think that it could be a local from here, that it's going to affect the community a lot. Now that net has been cast even wider, investigators combing hundreds of kilometers for evidence and witnesses in their quest to find a killer still at large. And Sarah, obviously this would have been shocking for Emily's family, but we've learned they've now arrived in B.C. Chris, investigators tell us some of Sakalis' residents from relatives, I should say, from overseas are here in the Lower Mainland. We're told an autopsy has been completed and a cause of death determined, but that information is among many other details being held back by officials tonight as they work to make an arrest in this case. Chris. All right, Sarah, nice work and good to have you on our team. Thank you. Five family members in Maple Ridge are lucky to be alive tonight after escaping an early morning fire at their home. Calm down. They made it out with just the clothes on their backs. Three of the five have been treated in hospital for minor burns. One cat and three guinea pigs survived, but two other cats are missing and six birds perished. Deborah Davis says there was panic when she was awoken at about 4 o'clock in the morning. My daughter was yelling for us to get up because the, there was a fire. So we just woke up and started waking everyone up to get out. So our daughter really saved all of us today. The home had smoke alarms and the family has renter's insurance. Fire investigators are still looking into what caused the fire. He received international praise when he painted over racist graffiti near his home. But a Chilliwack man's past with hate groups overseas 
is now coming back to haunt him. Nikki Cooper has denounced the racism that once ruled his life. But as John Waugh reports, his earlier involvement could get him deported. Armed with a bucket of paint and a shocking story about his past, Chilliwack's Nikki Cooper has become a crusader against hate crimes in his town. Someone can sit here and say they've changed, they've changed, they've changed, but I always think actions actually speak louder than words. <laughs> Once a member of the hate group Combat 18 in London, it would have been easier for Cooper to use his move to Canada 13 years ago to paint over his past completely. Instead, he chose to turn his life's mistakes into a powerful message. And when Cooper covered up neo-Nazi messaging he found under a bridge, his actions went viral on social media. I didn't want to lie. I didn't want to start a new life with a lie. I wanted to be totally honest. That honesty could get Cooper deported back to the UK after a hearing with the Canada Border Services Agency ruled him inadmissible because of his past. He's applied for ministerial relief and temporary residency, but the wait has been tough. It's incredibly stressful just to go and get your mouth thinking the whole life could be hanging on the balance of what's in that mailbox. The community isn't waiting for answers, launching a petition with already more than 500 signatures asking to keep Cooper here in Canada. I think Nick more than has proved that he deserves a second chance in Canada. Hardest of all, Cooper says deportation would not only mean splitting up his family, but would keep him from combating hate in his new home. We can make Chilliwack uh, an inclusive place for everyone, and I would like to be part of that. So for now, the long, nerve-wracking walks to the mailbox will continue as Nikki Cooper works to prove people can really change. John Hua, Global News. An inquiry into money laundering at BC casinos could be one step closer to reality, despite what we heard earlier from Attorney General David Eby. Our Richard Zisman is live in Victoria with the details. And Richard, it sounds like the Premier signaled there is a chance that it could happen. Yeah, Chris, there's been a huge amount of public support for a public inquiry into money laundering. More than 75% of people polled in a recent poll said they want to see it. But the issue is whether the government actually wants to do it. This all stems from the recent German report that showed that there was widespread money laundering in casinos. It seems, though, that the Premier and Attorney General David Eby are in lockstep. They want to see an inquiry. They haven't ruled out a public inquiry entirely, but are considering other options as well. Out. Uh, Minister Eby needs the flexibility as Attorney General to give guidance to government on what's the best course of action. Uh, but at this point, I would prefer to go at the problem and we can address that directly by an internal inquiry that's transparent and open. There's no timing yet on when we may see an announcement about whether we see this internal inquiry or indeed a public inquiry. Public inquiries are rare. The last one was into murdered and missing women. There were a lot of criticisms from the public about the way that one worked. Horgan also said he's spoken to a number of previous premiers who have mixed reviews on the way that public inquiries have worked. He also said that he believes public inquiries are just a way to make people in the legal profession rich. He says ultimately his goal in all of this is to ensure that there's a demonstration there is a problem and that the government is taking steps to address it, Chris. All right, we'll see what happens. Thank you, Richard. A call for bids today from contractors to build Surrey's light rail transit project. TransLink committing to have that project up and running by 2024. Aaron MacArthur has more on when they're hoping to get shovels in the ground. Aaron. 
Chris, if everything goes right, construction starts two years from now, and trains will be rolling from here at the Newton Exchange by 2024. Still a ton of questions left to be answered, and many people in Surrey wondering if their community is getting value for money. Goodbye traffic congestion. Hello, King George Boulevard of the future. At least that's the hope. Surrey's at-grade LRT project getting more expensive by the minute, it seems. $157 million for every kilometer. More money than the fully separated Evergreen Line costs, which was completed just two years ago. One of the most significant pressures has been on property costs and in securing properties. The, the value of properties in some cases since Evergreen days have almost doubled. Many still questioning if this technology is the right fit for Surrey. TransLink says the ridership will immediately be 46,000 people a day. Not good enough for critics who believe SkyTrain is what the city needs. TransLink released their social economic review report just this May. Their estimation in that report was that the Surrey Newton Guildford light rail would only increase transit use by about 0.6%. The actual uh, annual boardings count that they predict is somewhere in the range of about 5.5 million, and that's a drop in the bucket. With news this week about business owners along Camby Street being compensated for losses during the Canada Line construction, TransLink has been forced to think about major disruptions along the King George and along 104th Avenue. A four-year-long timeline will be difficult for hundreds of businesses to manage. The engagement plan will, will really be uh, much more, um, how, how would I say, um, aggressive than what you would have seen, uh, simply because we want to make sure that we understand what those businesses need. Requests for proposals are now out, and a construction firm will be chosen by 2019. And for the first time in decades, Surrey will see another transit improvement. The civic election, of course, will play a role in all of this. There are council candidates and mayoral candidates who say LRT is not the right solution for Surrey. TransLink saying it might be too late to unwind all the work that's been done. Chris? The city of uh, Vancouver, thank you, Aaron. The city of Vancouver says its crackdown on short-term rentals is exceeding expectations. The city says the regulations that came into effect in April have resulted in the number of short-term rentals being cut almost in half to only 3,700. The aim is to protect long-term rental stock. 70% of those listed on sites such as Airbnb are now licensed. Simple. The city is now going after the others, mainly commercial operators with a number of different properties and issuing tickets. Anyone listing a short-term rental without a valid business license will be subject to escalating enforcement. That includes, includes fines of up to $1,000 per offence, and that may be applied per day and per platform. The city says it's investigated more than 2,600 short-term rental listings to date, and Airbnb has deactivated close to 2,500 that did not meet the new rules. One of the largest passenger planes in the world stranded at JFK for hours today. What happened on board that kept hundreds of passengers under quarantine? Later. Also coming up, they hoped they'd get a good shot of the lions on a safari, but no one expected to get this close. That's coming up as well. But right now, the price of real estate in Vancouver is always a hot topic. But how about a prime piece of land for a buck? The city is looking to sell the property back to CP Rail for less than a cup of coffee. But as you might imagine, there's more to the deal than that. With more on that, we are joined by our Grace Key. And Grace, 
Why this sweet deal and who's speaking out against it? Yeah, that property is uh, right behind me, part of it. So the city, of course, wanted uh, some greenway and a transportation corridor secured, of course, at a fair deal for taxpayers. So it did strike up a complex deal with CP. As you imagine, they are going to potentially be getting more than a buck. But whenever you talk about a possible land sale that does have some nervous... With land at a premium, the city of Vancouver is considering selling back Canadian Pacific Railway property along the Arbutus Greenway for the asking price of a mere $1. These lands probably would not land in the city's hands. Uh, and recognizing across the entire corridor, this represents about 3% of the land. That would be reflected in the purchase price. It's a complex deal made back in 2016 when the city purchased unused CP rail land for $55 million. If CP buys back this small portion of land, they would have to sell it, and the city will ultimately be making more than a dollar. CP would keep the first $75 million of the net sales and then split the remainder with the city 50-50. Reckless Bike Store sits next to part of the land. It opened up its first location here 33 years ago, and some businesses are concerned if the deal goes through, what it would mean for them. We are worried that if they sell it back, the landlord will sell this building, <laughs> then uh, all our business will be gone. Most of the land stretches about four blocks and it's sandwiched between buildings. Early on, these parcels were identified as being ill-suited for light rail, walking or cycling because of engineering and safety concerns. We identified these lands as somewhat problematic just because they're so close to First Street. Uh, and a preferred option would be to widen Fur Street rather than have intersections that close to Fur. There is no stipulation on potential buyers in the agreement and CP did not comment when asked for additional details. The land use is restricted by the zoning. So the zoning that's in place there is generally light industrial. Uh, there's some mixed use and then on the very northern parcel there's really no um, development that's able to be built in, unless there's a rezoning process. So there is going to be a public hearing on this issue tonight. It's going to be at 6 o'clock at City Hall. Chris? All right. Thanks very much, Grace. Unfathomable. That's the word being used to describe the fact that shards of glass, plastic, and metal were spread all over a number of school fields on the Sunshine Coast. As Ted Chernecki reports, parents are now asking how this could have happened and how the problem will be fixed. You don't have to look very hard to find the problem. There's bits of glass, sharp plastics, ceramic, and wood pieces that look like they may have once been a warehouse pallet. This is chunks of wooden pallets, and you can see this is a hole where there would be a nail. The debris is scattered throughout the Madeira Park Elementary School's playing field, which is now closed indefinitely. As are seven other playing fields up and down the Sunshine Coast, all the way from Madeira Park on the top left to Roberts Creek and Elphinstone on the bottom right. All are the property of School District 46. Uh, we are quite puzzled about this and we're looking into that with the contractor. The district isn't revealing who that contractor is, but every year they hire someone to add soil to help grow and level the playing fields. But this time, there was added fill that no one noticed until all seven fields were contaminated. On the weekend, I was contacted by a concerned parent they know my background in the sports turf industry. They wanted me to come take a look at the, uh, at the field. So I, I didn't think too much about it, but I, I went out and took a look and I, I was horrified. The district is confident it can clean up the hazardous materials, but it could be very labor intensive. 
Oh, I, I expect it will be very, very close by the end of this week. However, it will depend on us doing inspections, making sure that it's safe. So, so we're not finished uh, and we will be inspecting very closely. I mean, they, d they know that there's millions of pieces of garbage, glass and nails all over the school fields. There's no way that handpicking will like ever solve that solution. In my opinion, these fields aren't going to be open in the next 12 to 18 months. There's no way. Then there's the question of cost. Right now, the taxpayer is paying for it all, and the district is in negotiations with that as yet unnamed contractor. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Six high-profile conservation groups are suing the federal government, demanding more protection for B.C.'s endangered southern resident killer whales. They say Ottawa isn't doing enough to protect the shrinking population, and they're going to court to get an emergency order. Linda Aylesworth explains what that could mean. It was for these iconic creatures that six conservation organizations united in downtown Vancouver this morning. Southern resident killer whales are in crisis. The population has fallen to just 75 whales. Among them, a young female known as J50, whose future is precarious. As biologists on both sides of the border struggle to save her on the water, these groups say they're striving to save the entire species in the court. My colleagues and I filed a lawsuit in the Federal Court of Canada against Minister of Fisheries and Oceans Jonathan Wilkinson and the Federal Minister of Environment and Climate Change Catherine McKenna. The suit asks the court to force federal ministers to address the crisis with emergency orders under the Species at Risk Act. Emergency orders are a legal tool that enable the government to fast-track legal protection for critically endangered populations like the southern residents. But one of the ministers named in the suit says the government is working hard to save the whales. We brought into place measures that address all three of the critical issues for killer whales, which are prey, availability of food, which is Chinook salmon, uh, contaminants in the water, and, uh, and acoustic disturbances from, from shipping. Right now, a lot of what's being proposed has very long timelines in it, which makes really no change for the orcas on a day-to-day -day basis. But this cuts through the bureaucracy. They want faster action on increasing the populations of Chinook salmon southern residents feed on and greater restrictions on vessel noise that disturbs their ability to forage. There's no time to wait around for more evidence. These are the most studied marine mammals in the world and we know what to do. The science is clear. I think it's unfortunate that uh, the environmental organizations have decided to move forward in this way, but we're certainly all committed to the same outcome. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A group of protesters calling themselves wild salmon defenders were removed from a ship owned by a fish farm corporation in Victoria. Six people broke into the Point Hope shipyard around 7 o'clock this morning and boarded the Orca Chief, laying out a banner and duct taping the word out under the ship's name. One protester also used the tape to fasten themselves to the mast. It took police negotiators and firefighters hours to remove everyone safely. There's tools, there's chemicals, there's, the ship is very high up, as you see, like the Vic Fire has their, one of their biggest ladders here trying to remove them. So it's, it's dangerous to the people protesting as well as dangerous to our officers and the, everyone trying to get them off uh, peacefully. All six were arrested and charged with break and enter and mischief. The investigation is ongoing. An unusual warning has been issued for a popular part of Banff National Park after a sobering close encounter. A female wolf wandering through occupied campgrounds looking for food 
and coming within a meter of campers. Global Sarah often reports. We're seeing warning signs all the way up between here at Fireside Day Use Area, which is just outside of Lake Louise, throughout the Bow Valley, all the way through to Castle Junction. And that's where this wolf was spotted on August 27th, wandering through a campground during the night and even coming within about a meter of one of those campers. An unusual occurrence for an otherwise elusive and skittish animal. Parks Canada says the wolf was a yearling in the problematic Bow Valley pack in 2016. Two of the other members of that pack were shot and killed by wildlife officers that year after getting into food and garbage left at campsites and becoming aggressive with campers. Wolves are one of our most wary animals and given a choice, most wolves would, you know, if they see people, they'll just sort of glide away into the forest and, and you know you're really lucky to to get a chance to see a wolf so to us this behavior was concerning and unusual when she comes into a campground specifically sniffing looking for human food. This wolf was fitted with a tracking collar back in 2016, but park officials say they have known her to be very wary of humans up until now. They're obviously very concerned about this behavior because food conditioning can be so hard for them to unlearn. We also know that she had four pups this past spring. Sarah Offen, Global News. And just into the Global Newsroom, breaking details about a rescue underway right now on the North Shore. This happens with some regularity on the North Shore. Crews are at Lynn Canyon, where a young woman, believed to be in her late teens or early 20s, fell about 40 feet. We're told she'd been jumping from almost under the suspension bridge when something went wrong. It's not clear if she hit rocks or just the water, but she is now complaining of back and hip pain. The fire department longlining her up to the bridge, where an ambulance will take her to hospital. If we get an update on her condition, we'll let you know. And some breaking news out of Northern California now. A fast-moving wildfire is prompting evacuations near Siskiyou and Shasta counties. The I-5 is also closed in the area, according to the U.S. Forest Service. The fire has burned more than 200 hectares and is growing rapidly. Emergency crews are scrambling in Japan after an earthquake. Japanese television broadcasting pictures of landslides that buried homes on Hokkaido following a magnitude 6.6 .6 quake. Residents are trapped in their homes, roads are blocked, and there are widespread power outages. One person is dead, 10 are injured, and about 20 are missing. Just when you thought the turmoil within the Donald Trump White House couldn't get any more bizarre comes this, an anonymous editorial written by a senior official in the Trump administration. The writer claims to be part of a wider resistance protecting America from the man elected to be commander-in-chief. An extraordinary alarm sounded from the inside out, jaw-dropping charges against the president by someone who says they work for him. An anonymous source describing a secret cluster of top aides, quote, working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. I would know, the author writes, I am one of them. The New York Times, late today, publishing that op-ed, choosing not to share who wrote it, but describing them as an official whose job would be jeopardized if their identity was revealed. The headline? I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. When you tell me about some anonymous source within the administration, probably who's failing 
and probably here for all the wrong reasons. If the failing New York Times has an anonymous editorial, can you believe it? Anonymous, meaning gutless, a gutless editorial. Uh, we're doing a great job. The writer praising some of the president's successes, but arguing they've come despite, not because of, his leadership style. Describing half-baked, ill-informed, and occasionally reckless decisions that have to be walked back. At one point, the official describes early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment to remove the president. But no one wanted to precipitate a constitutional crisis. Americans should know that there are adults in the room, the person writes. We fully recognize what is happening, and we are trying to do what's right, even when Donald Trump won't. The explosive op-ed echoes the portrait painted in a bombshell new book of a chaotic White House driven by dysfunction. The president doesn't believe any of it. The book means nothing. It's a work of fiction. If you look back at Woodward's past, he had the same problem with other presidents. He likes to get publicity, sell some books. The book's author, Bob Woodward, one of the most well-respected journalists of his generation, whose reporting helped bring down Richard Nixon. For the American people, why should they believe you over Bob Woodward? Well, if you look at Bob Woodward's track record, I mean, he had the same problem with Obama. Every time he wrote a book, they were complaining about it. They were complaining about the lack of accuracy. Woodward tells NBC News he stands by his reporting. Passenger jet from Dubai spent several hours today under quarantine at JFK International Airport in New York. There is a large emergency response by the Port Authority and the CDC. You'll see that coming in. The jet's 549 passengers and crew were held on the tarmac because nearly two dozen people said they were feeling ill. That sparked a large emergency response involving ambulances, fire trucks, homeland security, and the Centers for Disease Control. Most passengers were cleared of any illness. Ten people were taken to hospital. The CDC says more tests are needed, but it appears to be the flu. In Health Matters, a new survey illustrates a troubling online trend. The survey done by Research Co. has found that two-thirds of British Columbians have searched online for information on a condition or illness. More disturbing, one in six went online to diagnose or treat a condition without also seeing a doctor. Among those who see a doctor and go online, millennials are more likely to do internet research before they see their doctor, while baby boomers are more likely to go online after their visit. It might be hard to believe, but it's a little more than a year ago the new Democrats under John Horgan formed a new government, a coalition with the Greens that many people predicted would fall apart before its first anniversary. Global's Richard Zussman talked to the Premier about his eventful first year. Why I get stoked about issues that help families is that those are my constituents. Don't blame Premier John Horgan for trying to catch his breath. He's had a hectic 14 months. Sitting down recently to reflect on his time in office so far, Horgan summarized it this way. It's been an extraordinary 14 months. Okay. And that means incredibly busy. When Horgan unwinds, he enjoys doing it by playing some disc golf. And both looking forward and looking back at his time in office so far. Here are some highlights. The government removed tolls on the Portman Bridge, approved the Site C Dam while providing resistance to the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and secured funding for more transit projects while reducing the cost of childcare. I talk to young families all the time, and the biggest challenge they have is finding someone to take care of their kids. But the good hasn't been all good. 
There are still groups furious over the potential impacts of the Sightsee Dam, and the Kinder Morgan stance almost triggered a constitutional crisis. On top of that, the NDP has faced heat for new taxes, including a speculation tax where the rules keep changing. On implementation, we did a bad job of it. There's no question about that. But we're not done yet. What is often forgotten is that Horgan is still working in a minority government, only in power because of a deal struck with the BC Greens. As for regrets, Horgan says he doesn't have any, offering this instead. I wouldn't say regrets. I would say that my major disappointment is that we haven't been able to move quickly on some of the issues that are really important to the economy and to people. Housing costs, for example. I don't like this wind. As for what comes next, Horgan says his top priority is keeping the economy growing like and closed with this. I think that's what government want, or people want from their government, I should say, a government that's focused on them. But there could be bad news ahead. The economy is expected to slow. <sighs> and British Columbians will soon find out if it's a challenge Horgan is up for. Boom. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Steady Eddie. Great shot. And tomorrow on the News Hour, a little more on how the Premier unwinds after a, touch day at, a tough day at work. As you can see, he has his very own disc golf course, and we'll learn more about that from Richard. Yeah, pretty cool. Also, an eye popping encounter at a safari park. <laughs> if you think these visitors are a little too close to the lion, well, we'll show you what happens next. That's right after the forecast with Christy and a a beautiful evening out there, but the haze is back. Yes, it certainly is. Last night we had a, lot, a few people reporting their smelling smoke, certainly in the Sunshine Coast region. And that's, again, what we're seeing today, quite a bit of haze. But it was beautiful, that's for sure. But uh, they have issued a smoky skies advisory for the Sunshine Coast from Sultry Bay up to Powell River. We've got a southerly flow across the region. It's actually bringing smoke from south of the border just a little bit into our area. But it seems to be lingering in that area a little bit more than the rest of the lower mainland. And that's why environmental. Canada has issued uh, that Smoky Skies advisory, although we still have it in place for many other areas across the province as we continue with a number of fires, many fires across the region. It was beautiful today, though. 29 degrees out in the valley, near the water, 23 degrees. Hard to believe we are at... at September 5th, everyone. Now, the hot spot across the province was Port Alberni at close to 30 degrees, exactly 28, sorry, 29.8. But there were many other areas uh, nice and warm, Lytton at uh, close to 30 degrees, 29.6 exactly. But last night certainly was chilly. We talked about that last night. And yes, temperatures dropped below the zero degree mark. Minus three in Clinton and um, zero degrees in Princeton. Prince George at zero degrees. Tonight is going to be another cold one. Tomorrow, another hot one. So one more beautiful day on the way before the change that I was mentioning is going to hold through the weekend and a good part of next week. Now, it's not a complete washout, but it will be a lot different compared to what you saw today. So there's our Friday morning, mainly cloudy, but still dry for the lower mainland. We are expecting the showers to push in on Friday afternoon, and it will be on and off throughout the weekend. In the meantime, this is your Thursday, so the chance of showers is mainly across the north coast. Warm, sunny, even hotter in the interior regions tomorrow compared to today. So 29 in Kamloops away from the water. We could see 26, 27 degrees in Metro Vancouver. And then yes, the change happens on Friday. I am hoping for some sunshine on Saturday, but we're back to mainly cloudy skies with showers on Sunday. And I'll leave you with this beautiful shot from the upper Joffrey Lake area. So this 
Oh, what happened to it? Oh, just, we got a glimpse of it. It just disappeared. <laughs> oh, sorry. Very Maybe Brad will show that on, on Twitter again. But, uh, yeah, thanks to Brad for that one. It's just north of uh, Squamish, beautiful area. North oh. of Pemberton is what I meant. Sorry. Yeah, getting, getting a lot of pressure from a lot of people, too. It's yeah. almost becoming a problem because it's so beautiful. All right, thanks, Christy. A group of tourists had a once-in-a-lifetime encounter with a lion, although wildlife experts would probably question the wisdom of this. Now, this is happening at a safari park in Crimea. They came across a two-year-old lion named Philia, who was apparently in a playful mood. The animal clambered right into the car, climbing across the tourist's laps and even licking one woman's face. Now, this is the same park where a woman, a woman was attacked and injured two weeks ago by a different lion. Luckily, yeah, luckily no one was was hurt this time. The park is famous for allowing visitors to get very close to its animals. Vancouver police have used a unique technique to net an escapee on Davie Street today, but it wasn't a criminal they captured. Look closely. An officer used a fishing net to eventually snag a bunny. The little guy kept hopping under a slowly moving car to avoid the crowd that was trying to capture him. VPD tweeted the video with a famous line from Elmer Fudd, Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbits. <laughs> That's the worst Elmer Fudd ever. Actually, wasn't that was bad. pretty good. But, um, yeah, fun for the VPD. You never know what's going to happen on the job. What is up with driving a golf cart through lions? I... It's crazy, isn't it? Like your only protection is your yeah. smartphone, and that's about I it. would be out of there yeah. so fast. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's... <laughs> I got this great idea. Let's take this golf cart and drive through the Lion Country Safari. Yeah. Sounds like Probably. Great. I wouldn't. Perfect. Okay, but he was a friendly cat. All right, we had Dota 2 here in Vancouver not that long ago, and, and there are rumors it's of another It's made an impact. Big, it's, it's made, made an impact, yeah. It's made an impact to uh, the people at Rogers Arena. So much so, and nothing's official yet, but it could be very soon. It looks like Vancouver will have its own eSports team in the Overwatch League run by Activision Blizzard. The team would be owned by the Canucks, and it's a smart move to get involved in this. We all saw, as we just mentioned, how huge eSports is when the Dota 2 World Championships, the international to be more precise, was held at Rogers Arena last month. Big, enthusiastic crowds, loud crowds to watch people essentially play video games. Chances are the Vancouver team could start playing in this league next season. And this is the grand final from this year, which was the first year of the league. I know, if you've never played the game itself, it's hard to follow what is going on here. It seems to be happening rather quickly, but a lot of the teams in the first season were owned by people who own other sports franchises. Robert Kraft, who owns the New England Patriots, he has a team in this league. The people who own the Philadelphia Flyers have a team, as well as the people who own the LA Rams and the Colorado Avalanche. And London won. A big part of the Canucks' future is in Penticton this week. The Young Stars Tournament will have just that, a lot of the Canucks' young stars. Quinn Hughes cannot be there because he's back at the University of Michigan. However, Elias Pedersen, or Peterson if you like, will be there after having thumb surgery in the offseason. Of course, he was a huge star in Sweden last year. Kobe Baker winner, Adam Gaudet, who played the uh, end of the season with the Canucks. He'll be up there, as well as Ole Olevi, who is coming off back surgery, so hopefully he'll be okay. He'll be in Penticton as well. Well, there are some serious issues going on at Rugby Canada. The organization is basically merging the 15s and 7s teams to centralize training. 
it means that money will be spread out and the sevens players won't get as much and they're not happy about it. It appears Rugby Canada wants to focus more on the 15-man squad, which has fallen down the world rankings to 23rd overall. The sevens, on the other hand, finished ninth in the World Seven Series. The 15-man squad has only one last chance in November to qualify for the 2019 World Cup. Well, this is a huge week for Sardis Secondary in Chilliwack. Football is back on campus, and moving that ball down the field to the end zone was a lot longer and tougher than anyone could have imagined, but they did it, and it's a proud moment for today's players and coaches as well as yesterday's. We're shoulder to shoulder, we're going up five yards. We're smacking, we're ripping underneath, we're coming in hard. I want to see contact today, let's go. It's been 35 years since Sardis Secondary last fielded a football team. Low student enrollment sending a once mighty program to the sidelines for decades until now. The Falcons are back and they play their first high school football game this weekend and it's a comeback story for the ages. It's going to be one of those once in a lifetime. I'm lucky to win three provincial championships and those are special moments. And I think this will rank right up there with them, just to bring that back and the ability to have that and see how much it meant to people in this community to bring it back. The Sarda slogan is meet the challenge. For the football team, that means putting a few more championship banners on the wall. As you can see, that hasn't happened since the 1970s. Back then, there was a budding Grey Cup champion and his childhood friend starring for the Falcons. The Sardis boys. <laughs> George Chike and Rick Klassen played together at Sardis and then at SFU. Klassen went on to star for the BC Lions. Chika was his agent. They were inseparable then as they are now. Rick unfortunately passed away from cancer in 2016 and the school thought the best way to honor Klassen was to bring the football program back to life. When you have a, a member of the BC Lions all-time dream team who came from your high school and played on your high school football team, and, uh, and that person passes away, you try to think of ways that you can honor his memory. A lot of good memories about a good friend and a best friend growing up. And uh, to be able to give back, I know how proud he'd be of the program starting up again. So it's something that you know I'm pleased to play a small part in. Chaika teamed up with the Sardis alumni and using his football connections, nearly $100,000 was raised to help the Falcons football program take flight again. On Saturday, Sardis will honor Rick Klassen by taking to the field and then retiring his high school number 31. This is an incredible story because uh, 40 years after uh, some high school buddies played football together, they've come back to their high school. Seahawks safety, Earl Thomas back at practice today after missing all of training camp and all of the preseason because he wasn't given a new contract. He still doesn't have one, but he doesn't want to miss any regular season games. And even though he hasn't been with the Hawks until now, he will likely play some of the game against Denver on Sunday. The Cowboys actually offered the Seahawks a second-round pick for Thomas, but they wanted a first-rounder. At the moment, no talks between Thomas and the Seahawks on a new deal. He is only one of six guys left from the Seahawks Super Bowl winning team. Only six guys left. Well, that wasn't even five years ago. Well, yeah, it was five years ago. It, it doesn't seem that long ago. No, though, for sure. So Nike recently uh, made headlines by electing Colin Kaepernick over there as being the face of, of the brand, basically. Now they're out with a new uh, commercial. A commercial that is 
narrated by Colin Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. Colin Kaepernick's in it. So are a lot of other Nike athletes, including our own Alfonso Davies. Can't show you the... If you're born a refugee, don't let it stop you from playing soccer for the national team at age 16. Don't become the best basketball player on the planet. Be bigger than basketball. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. When they talk about the greatest team in the history of the sport, make sure it's your team. If you have only one hand, don't just watch football. Play it at the highest level. And if you're a girl from Compton, don't just become a tennis player. Become the greatest athlete ever. Yeah, that's more like it. So don't ask if your dreams are crazy. Ask if they're crazy enough. So that was a shortened version. You saw Alfonso at the at the front of that edited version, but it's it's huge for him to be mentioned in a commercial with all of these other once in a generation athletes. Well, Nike has invested in him. Of course, he's going off to Bayern Munich, which is one of the biggest teams in the world. But the very fact that he is in probably what will be the most talked about Nike commercial in a long mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. That's massive for him. It sure is. And, and it was funny to see how Alfonso responded on Twitter after the release of that video. It's a little quirky, but here's what he posted to Twitter. You people think they are fast past me? Never that, man. Never that. You think you can run? Man, I've been running since I... Hard yeah. to run in those things. It's hard to run in those things. He is a teenager. You've got a sense of humor. You I think had a hard time understanding what he was saying. You, you think you're faster than me? You, you, oh. You're not faster than me. I've been running since I was... A, since, and then he just sort of took off. So yeah. Anyway, Alfonso, awesome to see you in the ad and uh, continued good luck in your career. He's playing in Germany. Well, next in year. January after this season, hopefully the Whitecaps can get in the playoffs and you can extend his career here and then you'll have to watch him over there. All right. Thanks very much for watching us. Have a great evening and we'll see you tomorrow.